This is Africa Digest. Very good evening to you. We hope you enjoyed your Monday, kicking off your week right here on Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. You're listening to Channel Africa, where we always give you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we're on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And online it's www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, and driving the show with me today is Joalani Tulo, Tracy Boomgard, and Neto Chimani. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Algerian President Albaziz Bouteflika uh, announces he will seek re-election despite widespread protests against his continued stay in power. Two senior figures at Liberia's central bank arrested following a probe into reports of missing banknotes. In economics, Kenya Electricity Transmission Company commissions construction of a new power line that will offer an alternative path for power into the Nairobi metropolitan region. And lastly, in sport, Springbok legend says a threat by Pacific Island rugby nations to pull out of the World Cup will be a major blow for the region. But first, let's get the news with Zwalani. Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. Rwanda has deployed the army along its common border with Uganda as a diplomatic rift continues to rage between the two East African neighbors. Local media is reporting that Rwandan soldiers can be seen. It added that the Uganda's internal security organization, ISO officials and locals have also confirmed the development. On their side, Ugandan authorities say they have not seen the need for such a deployment. Rwanda only last week said its borders with Uganda remained open but it was strongly advised that nationals avoid travel to their neighbor. Kigali accuses Kampala of arbitrary detention of its nationals and backing of groups that are working against Kigali. Zambia's broadcasting regulator has ordered a one-month suspension of a television channel, Prime TV. The station has been openly critical of President Edgar Lungu's government. This comes just days after the governing party accused the station of bias and unprofessionalism. Speaking at a press briefing in the capital, Lusaka, the Independent Broadcasting Authority Secretary says during the suspension period, the station is expected to conduct in-house training in basic journalism, ethics and news script writing. Lungu whose government is facing mounting complaints from the opposition of authoritarian behavior. An Ebola treatment center in the eastern DRC has been reopened after an attack by gunmen last Wednesday forces closure. The center, located in Butembo in the troubled province of North Kivu, reopened at the weekend. Repairs were also set to begin on another North Kivu treatment center in Katawa that was set ablaze uh, early last month. The outbreak has now claimed 561 lives out of 894 recorded cases. Efforts to contain the epidemic have been hampered by poor security in the highly unstable region. The United States has announced that it will merge its consulate in Israel with its embassy in a move that has angered Palestinians. The consulate in Jerusalem has until now operated as a semi-independent diplomatic mission and direct channel of communication between Washington and the Palestinian authorities. The BBC's Tom Bateman has the story. 
Officially, the U.S. describes the move as a merger, but in reality it marks a significant downgrade of its diplomatic mission to the Palestinians. America's Palestinian-facing presence in Jerusalem will now be known as a Palestinian Affairs Unit, reporting to Washington via the U.S. Embassy to Israel, which last year moved to the city from Tel Aviv. That change was backed by Israel, but vehemently opposed by Palestinians, who want the east of the city as their future capital. It follows a series of measures by the White House which have reduced funding and support for the internationally recognized Palestinian leadership. And finally, the authorities in the U.S. say the death toll may rise as search and rescue operations continue following devastating several tornadoes across Alabama and Georgia. At least 23 people are known to have been killed in Alabama and thousands have been left without power. Jay Jones is the sheriff of Lee County in Alabama. The damage is significant. I would put it in the category of catastrophic based on the destruction of the homes we've seen. We still have some people that are reported missing. We have not identified all of the fatalities yet at this point. Headlines at 5.30 for Channel Africa. I'm Cholani Tulo. This is Africa Digest. All right, the time is 17.05. You are listening to Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. Algerian President Abdelaziz Bouteflika has announced he will seek re-election despite widespread protests against him staying in power, but has promised to call for elections within one year to replace him if he emerges victorious in April. Bouteflika's statement was his first since the protests broke out nearly two weeks ago, the biggest in Algeria since the 2011 Arab Spring uprising that unseated rulers in neighboring countries. The 82-year-old Bouteflika has been wheelchair-bound since 2013 when he suffered a stroke and is rarely seen in public. Tens of thousands of protesters had been rallying in cities around Algeria, calling on Bouteflika not to submit election papers for the April, elite, uh, April 18th polls, the deadline for which was Sunday. For more on this, Channel Africa's Kumbelo Munzelele spoke to Ibrahim Dean, researcher at Afro Middle East Center, and he says that it is l- likely... Uh, that Bouteflika announcement will placate protesters. He says it is highly unlikely that Bouteflika's announcement will placate protesters. This is very unlikely. Many of the protesters are, would be very skeptical and are very skeptical of Bouteflika's promises. You know, he previously, you know, there was a two-term limit which he then changed to run for a third term, a fourth term, and subsequently a fifth term, or, you know, at least a fourth term. So it's very unlikely that they're going to pacify the protest. It's also very unlikely that Algerians would believe him, especially because, you know, many of the people that are protesting are younger Algerians, uh, you know, which are not as concerned uh, with historical events as, you know, the older Algerians. Now, do we know if he has submitted the election papers on time, Ibrahim, because Sunday was the deadline, wasn't it, for election candidates to submit uh, required election documents? Do we know if he has visited uh, the Electoral Commission in person or were documents submitted on his behalf? So he has sent the, you know, in the documents, uh, even though there were protests around the accreditation center, you know, where the documents were supposed to come in. He did, however, unlike in 2014, he, he submitted it via someone else. So his campaign manager submitted it rather than himself. This does 
you know, showed that, you know, his, his ailing health is, you know, playing a bigger role. I mean, it was a big question before. It's going to raise even more questions now. Before he went on in 2014 with a wheelchair, this time he seems to have been in Switzerland for apparently what he called routine medical treatment. So, you know, it does seem as if uh, his health is worse now than it was that time and, uh, you know, is likely to raise even more questions uh, about his ability to govern even for a year if he, you know, as he promises. But why do you think uh, the ruling party is adamant, Ibrahim, in putting him as uh, a candidate uh, for the upcoming elections uh, despite uh, his ill health, which has been failing him for quite some time now? I think there's a few points, a few uh, things that uh, influence the ruling party's decision. One is the fact that Buteflika, unlike many others, was able to you know, traverse and uh, undermine the, the military intelligence divide that governs Algeria. You know, Bouteflika is seen as significant in being able to navigate these uh, actions. And the ruling party, you know, has been fearful of the intelligence services, uh, you know, for the past three years. And Bouteflika has been able to successfully curb the influence of the DRS. Two is, I think, the, the military uh, or, you know, the, the ruling coalition, the FLN and uh, the Democratic Lely, are fearful or, you know, don't want to be seen as, uh, as, this, as backing down. Uh, you know, they do believe that this will lay the groundwork for further challenges on the authority, and that's why they want him, you know, to stand. And three is, I think, you know, there isn't anyone that is able to unite uh, both factions as Bouteflika has been able to, you know, within the, the FLN and uh, the Democratic Rally Party. But some observers say the protesters lack a leadership and organization in a country still dominated by veterans of the 1954-1962 independence war against France, including Bouteflika himself. I think it is natural to wonder, isn't it, Ibrahim, whether the country that has avoided the upheavals of the 2011 Arab Spring is on the brink of its own revolution. How do you see this one panning out, Ibrahim? I mean, I think currently, you know, the numbers are big, but they're still too small to collapse the regime because I think what would need to happen would be defection. That's the first thing. I do, however, think also there is, as you said, there is no real opposition leadership. You know, the country has successfully been able, or the FLM has successfully been able to uh, co-opt and instrumentalize any form of opposition that happened, you know, over the past 15, 20 years. And three, I think reasonably many other countries will be very fearful of an unstable or unstable Libya in um, Algeria because you have an unstable Algeria, you have an unstable Libya, you have an unstable Sudan in the same region. So it it is very unlikely that, you know, we will see a revolution. But, you know, it is, you know, very likely that we will see a lot more protests and a lot more demands. And, you know, if there is, uh, you know, no real acknowledgement by the regime as we're currently seeing, or no real measures instituted by the regime, you know, it it is possible that that there will be much more pressure on, uh, you know, on the regime. And that was Ephraim Dean, a uh, researcher at the South African-based Afro-Middle uh, East Centre, talking to Kumbelo Munzelele. Now we cross over to Sudan, where social and political situations remain hostile following President Omar Hassan Ahmed El-Bashir's unilateral decision to quit the chairmanship uh, of the country's powerful ruling National Congress Party. James Shimanyula reports. The unilateral decision by Sudan's President Omar Hassan Ahmed El-Bashir to step down as the ruling party's chairman 
has automatically paved the way for former governor of Sudan's trouble, the South Kordofan state, Ahmed Harun, to become the new chairman. Before his appointment, Ahmed Harun was the ruling National Congress Party's deputy chairman. It may be imperative to note that, like President al-Bashir, the Hague-based International Criminal Court wants Harun to face alleged war crimes committed in Sudan's southwestern region of Darfur. This is how Alexander Maura, social and political expert on Sudan in neighboring South Sudan, characterized the appointment of Ahmed Harun as the new chairman of the country's ruling National Congress Party. It's uh, what uh, they call game of musical chair. It's more of a cosmetic change, just cosmetic. It will not uh, have an impact on the country, given that uh, President Omar Bashir is still powerful. He still wields uh, so much power and influence, and uh, I see him controlling instrument of governance in that country. Do you think that uh, if al-Bashir wakes up tomorrow morning or any day, then announces that um, he has relinquished the presidency and that Harun Ahmed will take over as the president or will take over as a caretaker leader until elections are held in 2020. Do you think we shall be looking at Ahmed Arun as president or you'll just be fixed planted there while El-Bashir is ruling? It is totally unrealistic and totally impossible to have uh, Arun taking over the reins of uh, power in Sudan. For now, it's hard to predict whether Omar Bashir will resign. That is so, even if he were to resign, the fact of the matter is that he will still be wielding power behind the scenes. Because remember, he has planted all his proxies, the former military officer, governorship in the security sector. He has all his loyalists in strategic positions. So we do not expect his powers to diminish anything, even if he was to resign. Can you kindly make a daring prediction of the situation that we are soon going to witness in Sudan? The protests, of course, are going to go to escalate. The opposition is going to, to organize uh, a series of protests that can also turn out to be violent. And I see in Sudan, it is a volatile situation that uh, would force even Bashir himself to relook at his hold on power. We have a martial law that yeah. is declared. This is a punitive law that will deter future demonstrations. I can tell you that that is not going to deter because even in the last couple of days, of course, we have witnessed uh, several protests around the country, especially in, in the capital, Hatum. So, martial law notwithstanding, there are going still to be protests. Even if they are not going to be large-scale, there will be pockets of protests here and there. The protest that expert Alexander Moura is referring to erupted on the 19th of December last year of a skyrocketing price of bread. And in a dramatic turn, the protests turned into a rallying countrywide call for President el-Bashir to quit the presidency. Also closely watching developments in Sudan is Mo Ibrahim, himself a citizen of that country. Ibrahim, founder of the Mo Ibrahim, is a billionaire businessman and philanthropist. Mo Ibrahim Foundation was established in 2006 to focus on the critical importance of leadership and governance in Africa. Mo Ibrahim describes the current situation in Sudan. Life is almost impossible. Massacres in Darfur, 
were hungry, and uh, they see the looting of the country's resources by the ruling clique. Really, enough is enough. Abuse of human rights will not just pass. I mean, that they will be held accountable. If Bashir escaped the International Criminal Court for a number of years, will not escape justice forever. The man that Mo Ibrahim says will not escape justice forever is Sudan's President Omar Hassan Ahmed al-Bashir, who is wanted by the International Criminal Court for allegedly committing war crimes and crimes against humanity in Sudan's southwestern region of Darfur. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. 1717 Central African Time. Uh, just a quick reminder that if you want to get in contact with us and let us know. Uh, what your week is looking like, or if you want to comment with regards to any of the stories which you're covering on today's show, you can do so by sending us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za, or you can send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, and you can tweet us at Channel Africa One. And whilst you're there, be sure to follow us as well. Two senior figures at Liberia's Central Bank, one of whom is the son of former President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, have been, harassed, have been arrested following a probe into reports of missing banknotes. They were detained after independent United States investigators dismissed rumors uh, that a haul of newly printed cash that should have been put into the National Reserves had gone missing. But the firm, Kroll Associates, raised concern regarding the overall accuracy of the bank's internal records and uh, found evidence of systematic and procedural weaknesses. Last October, hundreds of protesters hit the streets of the capital, Monrovia, following rumors that a container, uh, of load, a container load of newly printed banknotes worth $102 million had disappeared shortly after being delivered from abroad. Liberian journalist jo- uh, Joel Cholobooks uh, has more. Well, as I speak to you, uh, uh, the president, the, the former president, son is now in court. They are sitting at the docket right now. About three officials of the central bank that were picked up last week, and then uh, they, today appearing in court today. So as we speak, uh, they are in court right now trying to defend it themselves. Do we know at this stage um, uh, the sentiments of uh, former president Ellen Johnson uh, Sirleaf? The former president's son was deputy uh, governor at the bank. And then uh, when the issue started, he was called in to testify as to whether he knew about the missing billion. 
And uh, he and his governor, uh, Milton Witch, appeared, and then they said, uh, as much the concern, there was nothing like missing money. But to the surprise of many, the findings that were released uh, have indicated all of them, in fact, three of them from the central bank, he, the president's son, Charles Shelley, and the former governor of the bank, uh, Milton Witch, and two other officials have been picked up. And as we speak, like I said, they are now facing trial. Mm. The, the factors that surround this particular scandal are quite worrisome. Do you think that a Liberia central bank uh, will take a knock in terms of reputation as a result of the scandal? Well, as you said, uh, the reputation of the bank is now draining down. Uh, people don't have confidence anymore in the leadership of the bank. In fact, uh, today, newspapers featured those who were arrested and who had a lot of things to say. Now, the latest report coming out is one of the officials of the bank was murdered uh, over the weekend, and people are wondering why he was murdered. I mean, that's another issue on the ground. And uh, um, just before we let you go. Last year, there were 15 Liberians, including Ellen Johnson Sirleaf's son, who were banned from leaving the country uh, while the government investigated the, the whereabouts of this missing money. Is the travel ban still in effect or has it been lifted at this stage? And I know that, you know, the court proceedings are still ongoing, but what can you tell us around um, that uh, uh, travel ban at the moment? Well, the travel ban was imposed during the early days of the, the, the alleged missing money. Appointed as central governor, uh, central bank governor Nathaniel Petri requested the government to lift the travel ban on those who have been. And that travel ban was lifted. But the, the surprise to everybody is that why is it now that uh, uh, the president's son, who is a key player, has been arrested along with the governor, the former governor. So, I mean, that's it. Uh, people are wondering what is happening. And that's Joel Cholo Brooks, Chief Executive Officer of Liberia's news agency, the Global News Network, on the line from the capital, Monrovia, talking to Zikona Miso. Global's ratings agency, Standard and uh, Poor's, has revised the outlook uh, on South Africa's power utility ESCOM to stable from negative. Uh, the ratings agency has also affirmed that the company's foreign and local currency long-term credit ratings of CCC Plus and the long and short-term national scale of ratings from ZAB and uh, ZAB. The rating agency's decision follows the announcement made by the Minister of Finance, uh, Mr. Tito Mboweni, in his national budget speech on the 21st of February 2019, where he indicated that government will extend a provisional support package to ESCOM totaling about $5 billion over a three-year period to 2022. The support package is expected to enable ESCOM to meet its debt uh, service obligations. And more from Chief Financials Officer at ESCOM, Caleb Kassim. I think first it's very positive uh, in light of all the hard work we've done over the last almost two years to start getting funding uh, for what our requirements are. But more importantly, it uh, reiterates the importance of the support uh, through the budget that the Minister of Finance has allocated. And does this mean, uh, Caleb, that the utility is now out of the red zone in terms of the finances? Um, just explain for those who, who may not really understand uh, these nuances. No, Zikona, firstly, we're definitely not out of the red zone and maybe two or three key reasons for that. One, we are awaiting the regulator's decision on our three-year application that we've made and presented at public hearings throughout the country in January. That's a key decision compared to the that 15% that we asked for. And secondly, 
we know that uh, our debt service commitments are quite significant. They're on average around uh, 70 to 80 billion per annum. So what we want to do, we want to be in a situation where we can service our debt from our earnings, mm -hmm. which is currently only sitting at 40 billion. Yeah. So we still 40 billion shy to meet our debt service commitments. Mm. Now, what's the utility uh, doing, Caleb, at the moment to ensure that you know challenges, um, including load shedding, you know, are, are something of the past? What strides are you making from your end, apart from uh, the assistance that, of course, um, you have uh, got from government? Yeah, so, so on the system side, we've got a nine-point recovery plan on generation where we need to uh, ensure that we restore the performance of our older plants as well as Madupi and Kusile. Uh By getting the plants to produce at their designed levels, that will uh, result in us spending much lower costs on production, which will improve our finances going forward. But initially, it will require more money, and that's why the Standard & Poor's rating allows us the ability to go and raise the necessary funds to restore the performance on the generation side. Now, it's, it's no secret, of course, that your issues are not just only on that generation side, but um, simply across the board, um, if you like. Uh, what is the immediate issue or one of your most important issues that you are dealing with um, uh, with an immediate effort? So, so I think definitely the performance at the end of the day, you mm. know, mm. I'm not meeting the demand of the country has a significant impact on the economy. So that is definitely priority one. Priority two from our side is uh, to ensure that we can demonstrate cost efficiencies and we are frugal in our expenditure and that we also uh, continue with our governance and our robustness around compliance. I think those will be the, the key areas for ESCOM. Right, that was Caleb Kassam, Chief Financial Officer at South Africa's Power Utility ESCOM, on the line talking to Zikona Miso. The Southern African Clothing and Textile Workers Union has welcomed the announcement by Edcon, one of the, lar the, the largest South African clothing retailers, that an agreement has been concluded to stabilize the company and secure 140,000 direct and indirect jobs. Uh, the SACTWU says this agreement means a jobs massacre has been averted in the local clothing manufacturing industry. Edcon buys the most locally made clothing products of any of the big six clothing retailers. 44% of the clothing it sells is made locally. More from industrial, industrial policy officer at the SACTW, uh, Etienne Flock. So what it does, it secures the employment of the almost 40,000 workers in Edcon itself, but crucially, it also secures about 100,000 jobs in the Edcon pipeline. In other words, indirect jobs supported by Edcon. And those, for instance, include Saktu's members in clothing, textile, footwear, and leather factories in South Africa, but it also includes workers in companies that service Edcon, including in cleaning, transport, security, etc. So overall, this is a major jobs victory for, for South Africa with 140,000 jobs secured. And what would have uh, these job losses meant for your members and also the economy? If Edcon had closed down within a few days, um, several factories would have closed down, uh, leading to 4,000 job losses. 
within a couple of weeks, we would have seen tens of thousands of more job losses, and then this kind of rolling uh, impact throughout the clothing manufacturing and the footwear manufacturing industries. So, so the impact would largely have been in KwaZulu-Natal, where Edcon sources a lot of its clothing from towns such as Isitebe, Tongat, Ladysmith, and Port Shepston. And in those areas, there aren't any major job opportunities there. So when somebody loses a job in that area, they're bound to stay unemployed. And are you impressed at Edcon's rapid move to come up with a strategy to avert these uh, possible job losses? Yes, we are. But crucially now, you know, they've been given a lifeline. And as trade unions, we'll now be keeping an eye on them to, to make sure that they use that. You know, we would not want to see any mass retrenchments following this lifeline. And similarly, what we're looking for is uh, increased local sourcing to ensure that it uses this lifeline to benefit itself, but also the broader South African economy. On that, what is the status of the local clothing and textile industry currently? Much like the rest of the economy, the industry is not growing at the moment. For it to grow, you know, we need to see much more sales at retail level. We need to have consumers who have cash in hand. But because of the very tepid economic growth that we're seeing now, we don't have any of that. We're not seeing significant sales at, at the retailers. And it means there are less orders in clothing and, and textile factories, as there are in many other factories that supply retailers. So what we're looking for is a significant and quick boost to the economy to ensure that it starts to grow again and that more orders are placed in these factories. Going forward, you spoke about engaging with Edcon to ensure that there are no job losses in the future. What will you be doing currently with Edcon with regards to that? So one of our main intentions going forward is to sit down with them and to, to find opportunities where we can source more locally made garments um, for them with their assistance. But we also want to talk to them to make sure that they source from factories that have decent work compliance. You know, we cannot be sourcing from sweatshops and selling garments to consumers that were made by people that are exploited or paid under the national minimum wage. So those are some of the priorities that we'll be targeting with Edcon. And how important is it for retailers like Edcon to actually source their material from uh, local um, um, manufacturers? So the argument that most of us know is that as soon as a retailer starts to source locally, it also creates local jobs. And of course, it it puts bread on the table of those families who, who are employed in those jobs. But there is another benefit for the retailers, and that is you know, the more jobs we create locally, the more consumers and customers they have, the more people buy their goods. So we argue that it's also good for them to source locally because it creates greater demand for the products that they sell. That's Etienne Flock, Industry Policy Officer at the Southern African Clothing and Textile Workers Union, on the line talking to Tuto Ungubeni. Right now the time is 17.30. Let's get a quick update from Zolani Tulo. Here are your news headlines.
Thank you, Samora. Making headlines, Rwanda has deployed the army along its common border with Uganda as a diplomatic rift continues to rage between the two East African neighbors. An Ebola treatment center in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo has been reopened after an attack by gunmen last Wednesday forced its closure. And finally, Zambia's broadcasting regulator has ordered a one-month suspension of a television channel, Prime TV. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo. Well, the month of March uh, marks International Women's Day and International Women's Month as a whole, observed annually on the 8th. This year's theme for international, uh, the International Day is Think Equal, Build Smart, Innovate for Change. The theme will focus on innovative ways to advance gender equality and the empowerment of women in the areas of social protection systems, access to public services and sustainable infrastructure. With this in mind, we shine the spotlight on organizations that continue to put women in the fore. Uh, one such organization is Reach for Recovery, an international breast cancer support group. More from the chairperson of Non-Governmental Organizations Board, Stephanie Jacobs. Visual Recovery is a support group and our support starts right in hospital. When the patient has been diagnosed with breast cancer, we go there with practical gifts and emotional support and most importantly, our own example of hope and recovery because we are all breast cancer survivors ourselves. You can imagine that the patient's eyes just light up when we tell her that. Because when we come in there, she's very afraid and um, she's very emotional. But upon hearing that we've gone through a similar experience, she's very likely to brighten up a little bit and just to be able to identify with us. How does funds that you get assist in the work that you do? Yes, we are so grateful for these funds because it goes directly to the people who need it most. And um, Playing for Pink has so far supported us since 2015 and the total is over 400,000 and that has already bought more than 300 diseases for women. So it is a massive help to make sure that every woman is able to access these silicone prostheses. They cost more than 2,000 rand in the open market and we are able to provide them to the woman at no cost or at very little voluntary cost to her. So the prosthesis, is that the only thing that you provide to them or do you also provide emotional support to anybody who's been, you know, recently diagnosed with breast cancer? Yes, you know, the ditto prosthesis is actually the final empowering step of our support. But we start off with her as soon as she's been diagnosed. We start off with support in hospital. We visit her there. We um, support her on the telephone and we give her practical gifts and emotional support and then we invite her if her breast has been removed or two breasts have been removed to just wait for the wounds to heal and to then come to our breast clinics to be fitted with a silicone prosthesis. So yes, the prosthesis is 
is just the final step which we believe is so vital in helping her to just return to normal life. Currently, how many people have you assisted since you first established the Reach for Recovery? Well, the Ditto project specifically was started in 2011 and since then we have provided more than 5,000 procedures to such women. And Reach for Recovery was started in 1967, that is 52 years ago and every year we support more than 5,000 patients per year be it in hospital or at home on the phone so we're very proud of our service to breast cancer patients. That was Stephanie Jacobs chairperson of the Reach for Recovery Board speaking to Ntlantla Mashangu. Eating disorders are characterized by irregular eating habits and severe distress or concern about body weight or shape. Sometimes referred to as silent killers, disorders such as anorexia, bulimia and binge eating continue to impact on many sufferers' physical health and quality of life. Uh, This also includes the ability to function in daily life as well as their relationships with family and friends. Experts say the exact rates of eating disorders throughout South Africa are difficult to pinpoint due to the little uh, research that has been conducted in this area. More from Professor Christopher Paul Sabo, a member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. There's obviously, for any sufferer with an eating disorder, usually an inappropriate and excessive concern with weight and shape. Obviously what leads to that could be for a host of reasons and I think that with each sufferer you will probably find there are sometimes common reasons that cut across different sufferers but each sufferer has their own story as to why they turned to that to potentially boost their self-esteem or to feel better about themselves or to feel more in control of their lives. Although physical appearance is part of the preoccupation, it's not specifically about wanting to be beautiful or wanting to be pretty. I think there are much deeper psychological issues that um, underlie these conditions. Is there a group of people, Professor, that's predominantly susceptible? Well, I think that these conditions occur predominantly in young women. And when I say young women, I'm talking from early adolescence through to early 20s, mid-20s. But it doesn't mean that younger women and girls don't suffer, or older women for that matter. Often with older women, it may be that they come to your attention for the first time having had a chronic condition which they now decide to seek help for. So predominantly women, but it doesn't exclude men but men would form the minority. What role do parents and families play in one suffering from an eating disorder? Well, I think one has to be careful insofar as one doesn't want to apportion or attribute blame or causation necessarily to families. I think the biggest role that families can play, aside from potentially being maybe one of the issues that might have led to the sufferer developing the condition, usually because of interpersonal difficulties that are experienced, is how they recognize it and assist the sufferer to seek help and to support the sufferer in being helped. So I think when one thinks about the family, one should not just think about it in terms of how they might be implicated, but also how they might be part of the solution. And what about media stereotypes of beauty and ideal body shapes? Do you think that this can also contribute to people developing eating disorders? Well, I think that the media, without wanting to apportion blame, probably form part of the broader environmental issues that could impact on an individual 
sufferer. So I don't think that there's necessarily a straight line between media stereotypes of beauty and an individual eating disorder sufferer. It might happen. So I think that what I've always understood is that we need to be more media literate in that sense. So when we look at images in the media, we have to accept that those are images in the media that don't necessarily relate to us personally. But certainly it does create an idealized stereotype of what is regarded as attractive or appealing. And of course that may play some role, but I wouldn't want to say it's all about the media. Now let's talk about some of the signs and symptoms that a person presents with who's suffering from an eating disorder. Yes. Well, I think that certainly with anorexia, that's fairly straightforward insofar as there would be a restriction of food intake and there we're looking at the range of foods the frequency of eating and obviously the quantity and that over time would lead to a loss of weight which becomes visibly apparent but in fact the changes in eating behavior would also become apparent over time it may also be accompanied by excessive exercise and a lot of activity and also increasing preoccupation with the caloric content of food the way in which food is prepared so there are some fairly obvious manifestations of anorexia nervosa in terms of behavior and then ultimately the physical appearance of the individual The bulimia sufferers are a little bit different insofar as they might be normal weight and they would generally engage in their behaviors secretively. So obviously, by definition, somebody who suffers from bulimia has to binge eat. So that's an excessive quantity of food consumed in a reasonably short period of time where the person has a feeling of loss of control and that would then be followed by purging behavior which can take many different forms but predominantly vomiting although laxatives might also be used so usually this will take place as i say in secret so people may not initially see but for example somebody leaving the table almost immediately after a meal and disappearing to the bathroom is often the telltale sign or the family pick up evidence of vomit in the bathroom is there a way that one can stop the disorder from taking over their life well i think that these conditions are very powerful the ability to stop that is not straightforward first and foremost it requires a level of insight on the part of the sufferer that there is a problem that they need to do something about just simply having insight and awareness that something needs to change doesn't mean that that simply happens because it's very difficult to change it's a very scary process for them there's a lot of fear involved in these conditions and as i said these conditions are very powerful and they eventually take over the lives of the sufferer and they render them dysfunctional in many ways not able to perform as they should either socially academically occupationally it affects their mood it affects their motivation it affects their drive it really does control their lives and actually can destroy their lives and in some instances unfortunately lead to death but prof can these conditions be treated definitely they can be treated and so as difficult as it is to treat doesn't mean that it's not possible to treat i think one must accept that even if one makes a diagnosis and the person concerned is in agreement with the diagnosis it's then a long path towards reestablishing normality and getting the person back to a point of normality but then also finding comfort with normality that they are able to be more comfortable with their bodies as they should be and then to deal with the kinds of issues that led them to pursue this kind of behavior in the first place and that is professor uh, professor Christopher Paul Sabo a member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists talking to Elizabeth Lidicha
According to the Global Health Body, WHO, over 5% of the world's population have disabling hearing loss. In an attempt to raise awareness on how to prevent deafness and promote ear care, the global community yesterday observed Hearing Day. Uh, Check Your Hearing was the theme of the 2019 campaign. Jane Rabutata reports. It is estimated that by 2050, over 900 million people, or one in every 10 people, will have a disabling hearing loss. The World Health Organization, WHO, says globally, hearing loss which has gone unaddressed poses an annual cost of 750 billion U.S. dollars. Headphone users, especially young ones, have been identified as most at risk of hearing loss. This is because oftentimes headphone users fail to realize they're listening to audio at unsafe levels until serious hearing problems suddenly occur. WHO's Dr. Shelley Chada explains. So we know that nearly 50% of people who listen to music uh, over their uh, devices, their personal audio devices, smartphones, MP3 players, do so in a way which is posing a risk of hearing loss. So either they're listening to it at very loud volumes or for very long periods of time, which over a period of time is going to damage their hearing and result in hearing loss. With the theme, Check Your Hearing, this year's World Hearing Day, which is annually observed on the 3rd of March, drew attention to the importance of early identification and intervention for hearing loss. Health experts are concerned that many people who live with unidentified hearing loss often fail to realize that they are missing out on certain sounds and words. They maintain that checking one's hearing could be the first step towards addressing the issue. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutada in Johannesburg. All right, the time is now 17.44 Central African time, almost 17.45. It's almost time for us to find out what is happening in the world of economics with Tracy Boomgard. But before we do that, uh, we are hoping to hear a little bit more about how Kenya's electricity transmission company uh, commissions construction of a new power line that will offer an alternative path for power into the Nairobi metropolitan region. Hopefully they can give us tips as to what we need to do in order to... uh, channel more power to the rest of um, South Africa, Tracy, with regards to um, all the power generation and ESCOM and the power cuts that we've been seeing? Or the lack of? Yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, the time is now 17.45. Thank you, Samora. Uganda's business climate index revealed that the country's business climate has been operating below potential, with agriculture and manufacturing being some of the biggest victims. This has had a negative impact on job creation, revenue collection and the general outlook of the economy. The report also mentions the cost of electricity, macroeconomic factors, including inflation and foreign exchange volatility. Sierra Leone is appealing for the support from the international community for an $8 billion development plan. The National Development Plan was launched on Friday. It focuses on eight areas, including but not limited to human capital and infrastructural development, promotion of good governance and protection of the vulnerable. The NDP is the fifth national development plan since Sierra Leone emerged from 11 years of civil war, which destroyed its infrastructure. 
Sierra Leone remains 180 out of 187 in the UN Human Development Index. According to the UNDP, more than 60% of the population lives on less than $1 a day. Unemployment among the youth is at 70%. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa and King Mswati III have fostered bilateral agreements at Klani Royal Residence in the Kingdom of Eswatini. Ramaphosa was accompanied by the country's International Relations and Cooperations Minister, Lindiwe Sisulu, and the State Security Minister, Dupuya Letsati Dube. South Africa is the Kingdom of Eswatini's largest trading partner. Ramaphosa says the bilateral agreement serves instruments for cooperation that include cross-border movement of people and goods, trade and investment, health, defense and policing. South African electricity parastatal Eskom's funding exec- execution specialist Senglile Shweni agrees that he may have misled the South African Reserve Bank in the application for the Wairong Long loan agreement. Shweni says the Reserve Bank may not may have not approved the Wairong loan agreement if he had stated all the concerns relating to the transaction. He says he did not address the concerns about the fees as stated in the term sheet and the company's structure. Shwen is appearing before the Judicial Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in Parktown, Johannesburg. So the committee that was evaluating the proposals did not set aside wrong because it's just that the committee did not know how to deal with that. Perhaps outside of the committee that was evaluating, um, you could say that Wrong had a bit of a, of a head start uh, compared to, to the others because none of the others had their term sheets signed. Australia and Indonesia have signed a long-awaited trade deal which was postponed after Indonesia expressed anger over Canberra's plans to move its embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. The Indonesian Trade Minister Engotiasto Lukita praised the deal which will improve access to the Indonesian market for Australia's sheep and cattle farmers as well as boost Indonesian exports. So after nine years of negotiations, we finally reached this moment. Congratulations to all of us. The signing letter today is a landmark agreement which I hope will bring the two countries grow together. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.07 Nigerian Naira, 10.38 Botswana Pula at 99.02 Kenyan Shilling and at 11.97 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.77 Brazilian Hail, 65.88 Russian Ruble, 70.84 Indian Rupee, 6.71 Chinese Yuan and at 14.21 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,296 and platinum at $860 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $65.35 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard.
Right, Neto Chimani is in the building. He's here to let us know what is happening in the world of sport. Let's get to it. Thank you, Samara, from the Sports Desk. A very good evening. Starting with football news. The Confederation of African Football, CAF, will embark on a VAR video assistant referee workshop from the 20th to the 26th of March in South Africa for a select number of referees from around the continent. The video assistant referee VAR system was implemented in 2017 at the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in South Korea and had a great success at the 2018 FIFA Senior World Cup in Russia and it will now be implemented on the African continent. This system was designed to assist the referees with decision-making during matches. South Africa's national women's team suffered a second straight defeat at the Cyprus Women's Cup earlier this afternoon. After playing to a 2 all draw with Finland in their opening Group A and then succumbing to a heavy 4-1 defeat to North Korea on Friday, Desiree's ladies put up a brave performance in their final round-robin match against Czech Republic but lost their encounter to one. Meanwhile, Khatlana Tembi came on in the second half to make her 50th appearance for the senior women's team. On to rugby news. Springbok legend Tendai Mdawarira says a threat by Pacific Island rugby nations to pull out of the world... World Cup will be a major blow for the region. Samoa, Tonga and Fiji are protesting a proposal by World Rugby to establish a 12-team league to begin next year, which will allegedly exclude the trio. All three nations have qualified for the World Cup in Japan later this year, and the Pacific Rugby Players' Welfare wants its 600 members to discuss a motion to make themselves unavailable for the global showpiece. Veteran South African prop Mdawarira says the news is not good for the sport. It will definitely be a big blow for those countries because I think they've got great talent, you know, Fiji, you know, and, uh, you know they've got so much to offer to world rugby, so it would be a bummer if they had to miss out, and also Tonga, uh, did you as well? Yeah, Samoa, so yeah, <laughs> yeah so it will be tough for them. If the league materializes, it will, comprom- it will comprise of teams from the rugby championship, six nations as well as Japan and the United States of America, leaving the Pacific Islands of Test Rugby for the foreseeable future. It will also present a demanding playing and travelling schedule for teams and will impact on rugby championship and six nations, which may be cut to a single round. The format will see the top teams compete in semi-final and a final, resulting in five weeks of consecutive, consecutive action of some players. On to cricket news. Proteus leg spinner Imran Tahir has confirmed the 2019 Cricket World Cup will be his final appearance for South Africa in one-day international ODI cricket. Tahir is currently contracted to Cricket South Africa CSA until the 31st of July and will reassess his freelance future following the tournament. The 39-year-old says he would still like to play T20 international cricket for the Proteus ahead of the 2020 ICC-20 World Cup in Australia but would like to open up more opportunities for other fledging spinners in the country in the 50 format cricket. Look, I, I love to play as long as I can. And I think I did mention that before. Uh, but I think 
there's a stage in your life I think you have to make some big decision and this is one of the biggest um, definitely the biggest decision of my life but I also think that there is a couple of good spinners in the country who need the opportunity and uh, me being playing uh, even though I don't want them to play because we all fighting for the same spot Thank you for choosing Channel Africa for Channel Africa Sport I'm Neto N-E-T-O Chemani This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again a little bit later on in the evening from uh, 1900 hours Central African time all the way up until 8 p.m. From myself, Samora Magesi, producer Leanna Maume, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. For comments on the show, be sure to send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or WhatsApp us on plus 27763003327. You can also tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Taking us to the top of the hour is Nyabonga by Zakwe featuring Tribal. We'll see you later. This is me. Mobang is social feeling beating, shallem pimp on my blend. But Baba Gambonga, get talent in the Sagwen and Bank. You wanna be shellem so poor after Yang and Banga, but I'm here. You want to say from Satu Yang Nanya, Kruk Yangapa and Kampi Makasim and Kaja Baba more than anything. Mogi media and my promoters. I've been book up and push up because of my persona. When the drug is over, some skill I never was cloner. Nobody made me go back to work with Jehovah.
mind meets with the pain Dreams come to an end, ideas come to a plan Satagada no see ya, saw your wife in a said name And now he's part of the fan I was also I saw that the champion when I heard Music holding as what crack up in this year How I speak up at Nazitis and Nazitis or Sankis Or back in this and four songs in one day in Ganupa meter How I was ready for hours in fading and feeding so heater Hey, could you man believe in a young G But I'm so saying I call to talk to soul and a Buddha Tira Namuti Tassi Panting over Benning Tintisa Never call to MC Chats and a big Nazi and Kulisa Tipo Touch No Susan Dome in this year Nizo Seppi Shaka after Fugu did the Yogish year Happy end of Family, yeah, you see la Set figure, my cover name, Kagali, victim, see la Half your fear, man, gaga, mazi, no MPK Ngafe, denga, kanya, strain, kak, muze, pamazi, peli But this time, next year Yo, beba, chosa, wena, wai, susu, soy, mela Wa t-shirt, natis, kona, so, prega, web, sulu Ya, se, pangeni, flek, isen, pangeme You a friend, you a brother, maungena, kek, deng, engres, the little bro Siri, zoro, my blood, brother, from birth Na, ma, talent, ya, pege, wena Ya, susu, wa, sega, sas, busy Isi, jen, sula, na, zombri, yo Ya, sing, timu, spa, nebe, Yeah, can't be snapped on for you, but we're building an empire.